Well, if you want to find the book of Luke, chapter 24, again this morning. On Friday, we had a grim commemoration of something that will be recorded in American history books probably uh, forever. September 11, 2001, 19 terrorists took over four different planes and plowed them into the World Trade Center towers, the Pentagon, and had not a handful of very brave Americans intervene, probably would have hit the United States Capitol as well. We often talk about this as suicide, as suicide mission, but they were actually on task and purpose on behalf of a mission. Because three years earlier in a cave in Afghanistan, a tall, grim Arab sheikh, a recluse, issued a fatwa, an edict, to the world's Muslims that they should wage holy war against the United States. That was the mission. The way to go about the mission, the way to accomplish the mission, the tasks that were invested toward the mission was to kill Americans wherever they are found. I want to talk about a mission this morning, and for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, primarily the mission for you, the mission for me. A task takes a limited time and matters for a season. A mission takes a lifetime and matters forever. Let me say that again. If you think about it, for most of us, we are consumed with tasks. And God desires that we be consumed with the mission. A task takes a limited time and matters for a season. A mission takes a lifetime and matters forever. Now, the Muslim mission continues today, the mission to eradicate infidels. And I find it intriguing to contrast the Muslim mission, which is to convert some and destroy the rest, with the mission that God has given to us, and that is to call all to him. So question for you, especially to those of you who follow Jesus this morning is, what is your mission? If it's true that a mission takes a lifetime and matters forever, what is your mission? And Jesus gives us the answer to that question. And I don't know about you, but I need these words of the Savior again and again so that I keep pulling the mission back to where it belongs in my life. Beginning verse 44 of Luke chapter 24, then Jesus said, when I was with you before, meaning before he had died, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is the threefold division of the Old Testament. Law of Moses, first five books that Moses wrote, the prophets from the major to the minor, the big ones to the little ones, from Isaiah to Micah, and the Psalms or the writings. So the Psalms um, probably would include Job, uh, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and so forth. And Jesus said, yes, it was written long ago. Oh, I'm sorry, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament predictions about him. And he said it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die 
and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. A couple of questions I want to ask us this morning, starting with this one. What's our mission, and by what power will we accomplish it? What's our mission? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what's your mission? What's our mission? And by what power will we accomplish it? The answer to the first question, the mission, is in verses 46 and 7, to proclaim the gospel message. To proclaim the gospel message. And if you look in those couple of verses, you will see some of the things that we prayed about this morning. What is it? that we think, what is it that the world thinks, for that matter, is the mission of followers of Jesus Christ? Is it to make you better people? Is it to make you a more uh, appealing neighbor? Is it to make you a better worker? All of those things can happen, but they happen as a result of the gospel. And the gospel is, 46, The Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. This is the gospel message. Jesus dead. Jesus buried. Jesus raised to life on the third day. Because of that, there can be transformation. Proclaim the gospel message. Verse 47. uh, There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. By the way, don't miss that. When you think about talking with people about Jesus and the good news, don't miss repentance. It's not just that we say a prayer and we say, Jesus, forgive me and give me new life and make sure I go to heaven when I die. Unless you repent, unless you repent, that means to turn from sin. doesn't mean that we never sin again. It means changing our mind about sin where once we loved sin now we're going to live on a war foot on a war footing with sin jesus suffered and died and because of that all those who repent of their sins can be forgiven this is the mission it's very 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 simple isn't it proclaim the gospel message let me ask you christian when was the last time you thought of that When was the last time that went through your mind? That's right, I'm here for this reason. When was the last time you thought, I may, I may make a different decision based on now remembering this is why I'm still here? And by what power will we accomplish it? Verse 49, and now I will send, I will send, what's it say? The Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. On Wednesday evening, I was, uh, 
I was praying about something. I don't even remember what. And in the midst of my prayer, God interrupted me. Does he ever do that to you when you pray? I hate that. I have an agenda. And I'm headed toward it. And God interrupts. And, and he said to me, and don't get, uh, think spooky, weird things. God doesn't typically speak to me audibly. But sometimes I, there's this grand interruption in my thoughts and uh, begin to recognize, ooh, this is God speaking. And he said, I want you to talk with the man behind the counter about Jesus when you pick up your mower. I'm like, say what? I had my mower at the repair shop and I was gonna pick it up either the next day or the following day. He says, I want you to talk to the man about Jesus. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. It was 13 hours later that I picked up my mower, and in those 13 hours, God said that to me five more times. And so I'm, I'm you know, I have all kinds of rationalizations. Does it, anybody identify with this? All kinds of rationalizations of why I shouldn't. I think I know his family, and they're Christians and I'm sure he's a Christian anyway and there's this huge tug of war get out of my car at the shop and this was the final thing God said to me are you going to obey me or not and so I went in the shop and sure enough he was one of two guys there behind the counter and so he got my bill and I paid it and he said I'll meet you out at your car and brought the mower out and put it up on my trailer for me and put the gate up and he stood there a second and I said can I ask you a question I said are you, are you a follower of Jesus and he said yes yes I am I said great I said how long have you been serving the Lord he said uh, see 36 16 to about 20 years it's great I said where, where do you worship I said Victory Church over here in Strasburg and we ended up having a conversation about this church and there's some changes happening there and um, we had some more conversation. I went on my way. Now, as I'm going home, I'm thinking, okay, why did God prompt me to ask somebody about whether they're a follower of Jesus when they are? And it dawned on me that this is part of God's plan to continually drag me back to remembering why I'm here. And the more times I do that, the better I remember that. Here's the thing. I don't have the power on my own. Did, did you notice when we read verse 49 that Jesus said you stay here in Jerusalem don't go anywhere don't embark on the mission until my father gives you the Holy Spirit the gift he promised you why because powerless mission work bears no fruit 
powerless mission work bears no fruit. When God really started to get a hold of my life, one of the things that became of interest to me was mission work. Not for myself, mind you, for other people. (laughs) But God stirred in me a passion for the nations, for the world. And one of the things that I watched in the 1980s and became uh, disillusioned by was the passion with which mission agencies and churches were pursuing reaching the world by the year 2000. And, and they were going to pull this off and there was, a, there was an organization that came together, a, a grouping of many of these organizations to reach the world by 2000. And there was a, a, a lot of energy behind this and there were a lot of sermons preached about this and conference had over this. And there were logos created and graphic arts. And today I look back and I wonder, but where was the Holy Spirit? Where was the power for the mission? And here we are 20 years hence. And the number who need reach continues to grow. The number who've never heard continues to grow. I remember being in a hospital room about 18 years ago or so. It was a man who had heart trouble. He was a relative of someone in the congregation. He asked if I would go see him, and I said, sure. He was going to have a procedure that was kind of iffy. And as I talked with him, he said, I shared the gospel with him. And I said, have you, have you heard this before? He said, and this guy was a member of a church. He said, I've never heard that in my life. Simply proclaimed the gospel message. He was a church member. He'd never heard that, he said. And he put his faith in Christ that day. It was, uh, I should back up and tell you the rest of the story. Um, all of that happened on the second visit. I had asked him if he was a Christian. He said yes. We prayed together. I left the hospital, and God said, you didn't push that. I was at my car, ready to unlock my door, and God said, you're not done with him. I turned around. I'm back in the hospital, and I said, can I talk to you some more? I want to flesh out. I said, I asked you if you're a Christian. You said yes, but let me tell you what I understand the Bible to say a Christian is. And that's when he said, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that it is following Jesus and banking on his death, burial, and resurrection. Never heard that before. And the reason I share these stories is because this is the Holy Spirit at work in my life. And, and truth be told, I, there's plenty of times I avoid and ignore the Holy Spirit. But we need him because we cannot carry out the mission on our own. Christian mission is to proclaim the message that Jesus died and rose again so that people who repent and trust him will be forgiven. 
Second question, or third question, really, this morning. Do both lines matter? Look at verse 47. It is also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. There's the finish line. Beginning in Jerusalem, there's the starting line. Do both lines matter, both the start and the finish line? All right, the Jerusalem line, that's the start line because that's where these followers of Jesus, that's where the apostles were at the time. It was home. And so for us, the starting line is Gap, Strasburg, Lancaster, Coatesville, New Holland, Intercourse, Paradise, and the like. The vast majority of us probably will not get the call to sell most of our stuff, pack everything up, and move to a foreign country, learn a new language, and live the rest of our lives there proclaiming the gospel message. We're going to stay here in Jerusalem. And the mission is for us as well. The mission is for you as well. The mission is for me as well. Jesus said these things to 11 apostles and the women that were there with them that day. Did that message include you? Did that include you? Did that include me? Or was it just for these 11 and the other seven women or so that were there. Well, think about it. If Jesus says to take this gospel message from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, they were just getting started by the time that whole generation died off. Just, just now getting started. If it was simply up to them, they would have never gotten much further than Jerusalem and Samaria and maybe Judea. Both the starting line and the finish line matter. And one of the things that we have to be guard so carefully against is living in Jerusalem to think, oh, the mission is just for those people out there, wherever they are. And we'll send them and we'll pray for them and we'll support them, but they're the people who do the mission. We had a number of people last weekend. Kale and Dave, you guys want to come up here? Oh, wow. We had a group of people, about a dozen, I think, who thought the mission mattered enough that they spent their Friday, Saturday, and Sunday learning how to do the mission a little bit better. And uh, on, they would get training on Friday morning, Saturday morning, and they hit the streets of Lancaster on Friday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. And I asked a couple of them, uh, Kale Stolzfus and Dave Barr, to just share a story about something that happened to them last week, so. Yeah, so on Sunday, um, me and Ellen uh, were walking around and praying for people, and we saw this lady, and she was across the street, and we were like, should we go? <laughs> and so, we did, but kind of underlying creepy because we crossed the street just to meet her. But, um, and we asked her, um, is there anything we can be praying for you today? And she said, yeah. She's like, my mom is in the hospital and she's been here for seven days. 
Um, and so we prayed with her right there. And um, she was like, I just, I feel like God sent you. And it was just a really cool opportunity. Awesome. I got a lot floating around in my brain here. So um, I, I just want to piggyback on what Keith said earlier. I, I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to talk to people a lot. It's very clear. Um, going out on the streets and, and talking to strangers, usually not. But this was a great experience for me. Um, kind of scary. But I had a lot of good interactions with people. Um, one man in particular, his name was Sean. He was a homeless addict. He was very clearly in need of help. And uh, he opened his heart up to us. He, he, just, uh, he just told us all about his life. You could tell he was just so desperate for help. And we prayed for him and we shared the gospel with him, which he had heard. He had raised in Lancaster County, knew the gospel, but still was struggling. Um, but we just encouraged him and, and really prayed that the Lord would strengthen him to get help. And I could tell that it really affected him in a great way. And so I was thankful that God was able to use us um, in that way. Also, another man, Antonio, um, he looked like a scary dude. I, I said, let's, let's go talk to him. So we went over there. He had chains, and he was he a was big guy. And I said, we're, we're praying for people in the city. I, I would love to pray for you. Is there anything going on in your life you need prayer for? And he looked at me and he said, I'm alone. I don't have anybody. And I lost my job right away. And he was the softest guy you ever met. So I was really happy. There was other situations, but I was happy that God used me. And uh, I know he's planting seeds in those people's hearts. And he'll continue to work there. So, yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You want to thank him for coming up here? Because I don't think they wanted to do it. This is really sweaty, even back to me. Uh, thanks for sharing that, guys. Uh, one, of, one of the common conversations I've had over the years is about how, um, and you made a comment about Lancaster County, uh, the perception is that we are in the heart of the Bible Belt and most everybody here has either at least heard about Jesus if they don't know them. Man, that is, that is changing at an at a incredibly rapid pace. I maybe should say it has changed at a very rapid pace. And uh, um, I think it's come to the point that we should almost assume uh, people around us have not at least if they've heard the gospel, perhaps not understood the gospel. And uh, I, I, I love what uh, Ellen B.J. did, uh, Ellen B.J. Miller last week in getting this together, um, working with International Project uh, Ministry that Keystone partners with in New York City. Um, we've sent teams up there the last number of years. We're going to do it as well this summer, but got canceled because of COVID. Um, and I want to encourage you, we'll be going to be going up there with teams again that if you believe this is true, that the mission of every believer 
is to be a testimony for Christ. For Christ. You will be my witnesses, right? Um, to take advantage of one of those weeks and go up to New York City, you get trained in the morning, you hit the streets in the afternoon. Everybody that comes back says it was hands down the scariest thing I ever did and I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And, um, I, and, and I, you know, I, I've, uh, I've talked before about getting old. My wife said, w- wishes I would stop talking about getting old. Um, I see getting old as a great privilege. Um, and what I mean by that, it, it tends to crystallize so much. As I've uh, aged, um, you know, I realize that I'm a lot closer to death than I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And that tends to help you think um, much more sharply about what matters and what doesn't. And nothing in life matters more than the mission. If you believe that the mission is what impacts forever. There's a lot of things that I do that I spend time on, that I spend money on, not going to matter. Big picture, a project I'm working on home right now is paint the, paint the basement. Been there 20 years. It's dark paneling. It's dark, just dark. So I'm painting everything light colors. You know, when I sell that house, the person that buys it, one of the first things they'll probably do is paint what I just painted. Man, that irritates me. Because <laughs> I'm doing it right. And they should let it alone. And then a hundred years from there, the house probably not going to even be standing. It's all going to burn up one day. But people, people last forever. People last forever. Let's get back to the two lines. The Jerusalem is our home. But this message will also be proclaimed in the authority of Jesus' name to all the nations. Acts 1.8, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now you might ask the question, is really, is there still a need to do mission work? Is there still a need to go places around the world and talk about the gospel message? I mean, after all, come on. There is the internet. There are, everybody has smartphones. You, you, you might live in a very uh, a poor part of the world and have next to nothing, but you have a smartphone. We're all digitally tied together today. Is there a need for mission yet? We're almost at 8 billion people around the world. 7.8 billion and counting. There are about 2.2 billion people who call themselves Christians. And about that same number, or a little bit more, have never, and I mean never, heard a credible presentation of the gospel. Imagine that. Over 25% of the world never heard the gospel. 
86% of the world's Muslims have never even met a single Christian. Some of these places, we talk about the internet, talk about digital interconnectedness. Some of these places have blocked off access to certain websites. 86% of the world's 1.6 billion Muslims have never even met a Christian. By the way, we're having a mission conference October 25th. Um, Thomas Messick is going to be here as the North Carolina coordinator for the Crescent Project, a, mission, a ministry designed to help believers bridge the gap between Christianity and Islam. There are 136 billion, million Sheikh people in Bangladesh. 136 million. That's a third. It's over a third of the population in the United States who've never heard the gospel. Unre totally unreached people group. 62 billion Yadav people in India never heard the gospel. 37 million Java Pesasir Lore people in Indonesia never heard the gospel. 14 million Central Khmer people in Cambodia never heard the gospel. By the way, if you want to, if you feel God calling you to go to the world and you want to know where, most of the top, uh, most of the largest um, 50 most unreached people groups in the world, most of them are in India. You can work with Hindus there, you can work with animists, you can work with Muslims. And make no mistake about it, God's heart is not just for Lancaster County and Chester County. God loves the world. In fact, he loves it so much. Look at this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So this is another rendering of some of the words Jesus said right before he went back to heaven. Acts 1, 8, he said to his uh, apostles, his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And again, he's going to link the power of the Holy Spirit with the proclamation of the message of the gospel. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be, or as a result, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, he could not have been more clear that you start at Jerusalem, but you don't stop there. But they did. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7. Everybody stayed home. And they were doing a great job evangelizing Jerusalem. And God finally had enough. He said, this is not what my plan was. This is not what I told you to do. I told you to start at Jerusalem. I didn't say stay at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, middle of verse 1. You can remember this because when they failed to do Acts 1-8, God brought forth Acts 8-1. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. What did Acts 1-8 say? 
You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, when, and, and then keep going, the ends of the earth. They were stuck in Jerusalem. They hadn't gotten to Judea and, Judea and Samaria, let alone the ends of the earth. And so God brings a great wave of persecution and all the believers, except the church leaders, all the believers were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Phase two, phase three is going to get started here. You say, well, what, what's that have to do with the mission? Look at verse four. But the believers who were scattered <laughs> preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. But the believers who were scattered, these persecuted believers, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. God says, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to move you so you do do what I say. Pray, send, go. The goers will be in a minority, no doubt about it. But we need more goers. So you think about, you do the math here, if you're real sharp. 7.8 billion with a B people. And about 400,000 people around the world are serving in some mission capacity. And a sizable chunk of those 400,000 plus mission force are not doing evangelistic work. They're not doing church planning. They're doing some kind of support work. You can do the math. How many people per millions and millions of people around the world are proclaiming the gospel to those who have yet to be reached? The nations keep cropping up again and again in the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm sorry, the end of the Bible. So the book of Revelation. And the nations, people from every, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That word nation, probably better translated people group. So for example, Nigeria. It's a single nation. Has boundaries, borders, other uh, African nations. But within Nigeria, there are about 540 distinct people groups, none of which have a church. None of which have enough people in their people group to evangelize that people group. So much work to be done yet. The day of missions is not over. And because it is not over, Jesus still awaits at heaven's door. May I have you turn to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Listen to Jesus. This is before he went to the cross. He said, in the good news about the kingdom, this is pre-death, burial, and resurrection, so we can simply insert there the good news about Jesus and his work. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. So again, let's insert people group there. The word uh, in Greek is ethne, ta ethne, and that's we get our word ethnic, ethnicity from. So people group seems better than geopolitical nations whose boundaries change, come and go. So all people groups will hear it and then the end will come. 
In other words, Jesus doesn't come back until that happens. He's not saying that every individual person on the planet will hear about Jesus, but every group, every group will have representatives of that group who will hear about Jesus. And, and Jesus awaits at heaven's door for the mission to be fulfilled. So how are we doing with his mission? Christian? I don't mean how are we doing in terms of reaching all of those people, but I mean in terms of you and I making this uppermost in our minds and when that kind of tablecloth on our minds and hearts kind of slides off to the side, retrieving it and making again the, the reason that we live, how are we doing with that? Is his mission our mission? Does it, are we continually brought back to, that's right, this is why I'm here. Or is there something else in our life that really is our mission? This is why we live. This is why we're here. This is why we breathe. And I think the, the determinant of whether or not uh, the answer to that, whether or not it is our mission, I, I don't believe it's revealed by the number of people that we speak to about Jesus. I, when I was younger, people used to talk about, I, we should talk to every person that we meet about Jesus. I don't think so. Because I think God prepares people for our conversations. Ethiopian eunuch conversation that he had with Philip. I don't think we can necessarily come to the answer to that question by concluding, well, we don't do this or we do do that. And that tells us whether or not we're living for the mission. I don't think it's necessarily revealed by how much money we spend on the mission or by what we spend our money on in general. I think it is revealed to us by which priority shapes everything we think and do. And that it's a lifetime project to evaluate that mission with other competing missions and keep restoring Jesus to its, his proper position of ultimate influence, his mission to its proper position of ultimate influence. I, I even think about being a parent. Is your greatest passion to see your kids grow up to become successful or find a great career or find the perfect mate or is it to see them come to know Jesus? Is it to see them then be bearers of the mission going forward as well? A couple of suggestions for us. Uh, one of the things that I say every time we have one of our global partners talk to us is consider whether or not God wants you to become a partner, a personal partner with them meaning that you start to give financially to them directly, not just through the church. Begin praying for and supporting one of Keystone's missionaries. 
Here's a scary thing. Tell God you're open to being sent as a missionary. Just tell him that. I know sometimes we think that whatever we, excuse me, whatever we say to God that we don't want to do, he'll make us do. God's, God loves you too much and he loves the world too much to do that. A little song I heard when I was a kid, God doesn't, um, he, he doesn't compel us to go, but he makes us willing to go. He changes our heart. Third, begin praying for the Holy Spirit to nudge you when there's someone for you to speak to. Maybe you won't talk to somebody about Jesus for six months at a time or a year at a time, but just keep telling God, reminding him to nudge you when that you really want to make this mission tops in your life. Have the Spirit nudge me when it's time for me to speak to someone. Begin reviewing the past week to see where it is that you missed opportunities to talk about Jesus. That becomes, can become very educational for us. Oh, man, I didn't even notice that on Tuesday when I was talking to that person. It didn't even occur to me. Lastly, pray each morning for a chance to point to someone to Jesus. If you think about what you do, let's say you're a salesman. I used to be a salesman and my income depended on whether or not I sold you a kitchen. I can tell you there was nothing more exciting to me than to go home having talked to somebody about Jesus compared to selling a kitchen that earned me 10% on the sale. No comparison. God wants you, brother or sister, on mission. And he wants me on mission. Nothing matters more. And I pray, Father, that that would be what would shape and drive me the rest of my life, no matter how many months or years I have left. That I would have your heart for the world And that would translate into how I think, what I say, when I say it, what I give to this great mission. I think about the day when I stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus. This life is behind me. No doubt there will be as Erwin Lutzer has suggested, there will be some tears in heaven when we think about what we missed and we think about the diversions that consumed us and realize how much we are thankful to Jesus and how many people he sent us to that we missed. Guide us, Lord, help us more than anything to prioritize. In Jesus' name, amen.